Verse 13. So amazing things, incredible things. And, and, and it gets even more interesting. Also, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. I call this the seven Sceva sons of Sceva. (laughs) These guys are trying to cash in on Paul's ministry. That's all they're trying to do. They are false exorcists. And and we have historical accounts of of such men going from place to place, pretending to be able to exercise demons, and they would charge for their services whether or not a demon came out. You pay ahead. I'm sorry, this one was just too radical. We just couldn't get this one out, but thanks for the cash. And off they go. We know there was an inordinate amount of demonology, of demon possession taking place in the Middle East and in Asia in the first century. It was very much on the rise. Why? Well, I think Satan was, was stressing and doing everything he could to first put down Jesus and when that didn't work, to try to put down the church. So demons were present and active in vast hordes, in vast numbers, and these exorcists would go around and pretend and play games. Well, some of these guys, these skeevy sons, they thought, hey, it's working for Paul. Let's use the name of Jesus and his preacher, Paul, verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Cool. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, that is the skeevy sons of Sceva, and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Isn't that not a great story? (laughs) They go in there all, you know, put together the exorcist team, the seven skeevy sons. We're gonna, we're gonna cast out this demon. And in the name of Jesus about, uh, preached by Paul, yeah, I know those names. Who are you? And he leaps on them and he is powerful and he beats the snot out of them, strips them, and they left exorcism for streaking. (laughs) And it's sad, but typical of those who would seek all the benefits without the belief. They want to get what they can out of this thing until they can't get any more. And again, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 Their mistake was commanding demons by Jesus whom Paul preaches. It's kind of like, you know, I'll hear sometimes people use a phrase, your church. Hey, I came to your church on Sunday. Not my church. Do you go to the bridge? Well, yeah, but I mean, there's been a person, this is back a few years, came to the bridge a lot and always called it your church. And you know what I assumed? He probably wouldn't be here long because it's not his. He didn't have any ownership of it. It's your church. It's your Jesus. It's your faith. Hey, unless it's your faith, your Jesus, your church, it's not going to do you any good at all. You show up all you want until you own it. By faith yourself. They tried 
to cast out demons. They thought they could cash in, and for it, they're wounded, beaten, and stripped naked. And I really wonder if the faithless church looks that way to Jesus today. The faithless church? Yeah. Kind of like the skeevy sons of Skeva. What do you mean? Let me read something to you here. Revelation chapter 3 talks about what I would call a faithless church, Laodicea. Listen to the description. Chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, like the skeevy sons. You think you got it all together. You think you've, you've come upon the formula by which you can make a buck. And the truth is, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And then listen to what Jesus says. I advise you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now think about it. What's he talking about? I advise you, Jesus says, to buy gold from me. What is that? I would say it's a pure and tested faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Where Peter says, your faith is more precious than gold when tested by fire. Buy gold from me, a pure faith. What about white garments? Well, that's easy. The righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 19, verse 8. White linen, fine and bright and clean. Buy from me white garments to cover the nakedness. Righteous acts. What about the eye salve? Well, the eye salve is for anointing. I would say that's the anointing of the Holy One. Buy this from me. me. This is what Jesus brings, a pure and tested faith. The righteous acts of the saints and the anointing of the Holy One. 1 John 2.20 says, You have an anointing and this you know. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? You have an anointing and this you know. You know. The only way that you can not know if you have the Holy Spirit is if you don't. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, you know. There's no question. Back to Acts chapter seven, chapter 19, verse 17. So these skeevy sons, they get worked out and thrown out. Verse 17, this became known to all. Did you hear about the streaking in Ephesus? You're not going to believe this story. <laughs> Both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon them all. And the name, note this, the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And that's it. However Paul was doing things, he was doing them in such a way that he did not get the glory. It was not the name of Paul that was magnified. It was the name of Jesus. I love that about Paul. God got the glory. And Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so when we come back to the, the idea of the, of the works mocks and, the, and the, the handkerchiefs that were being taken out and people being healed, you know, Paul wasn't even there. And I think that's part of the point too. People weren't going, the handkerchief of Paul, the handkerchief of Paul. 
They were just taking the handkerchief and saying, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. And healing would come. See, God didn't need Paul there. (laughs) All he needed was a hanky. He doesn't need you there. His work will be done. And we are called to do whatever it takes to disappear into the glory of God. To duck the glory. That it might never reside with us, but might always and only reside with our Father who is in heaven. Now, Ephesus was the Hogwarts of Asia Minor. Ephesus was the city known for magic and witchcraft and sorcery and occultic worship. And it was, in, it was deeply entrenched in the culture. People in Ephesus, it was said, carried around with them little amulets like rabbit's feet. They carried around little parchments with things written on them to ward off evil spirits as they passed through the streets of that town. Demonism, demonic possession. I told you it was rampant in Asia and in Judea, Samaria in the first century. It was, it was especially rampant in this area. Why? Because the demonology was so welcome. Sorcery was common. Witchcraft was accepted. The occult And demons will go where demons are welcome. And they were welcome there in Ephesus. But as Jesus gets magnified, revival takes place. Revival explodes throughout Ephesus. And I think, by the way, we need to redefine our understanding of revival. Revival is not about the church getting religiously supercharged. Revival is about the lost getting radically saved. That's revival. Revival is when bars are being shut down throughout the cities. I think it was the the, the Welsh revival. I'm going to get that wrong. It was? In the Welsh Revival. Do you realize at the time of the Welsh Revival, look this up, just because I read about it this week, I forgot the exact dates and, and the circumstances, but do you realize by the end of the Welsh Revival there was not a single bar anywhere in the region? Why? Because no one wanted to go get drunk. Everyone was getting saved. Radical salvation. That's revival. It's not the church getting buzzed. It's the lost getting saved. And that's what begins to happen here in Ephesus. Watch this, verse 18. Many of those who have believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. That's, that's a guesstimation for us now that it was in the millions Because we don't know if this is uh, silver shekels or silver drachmas. We don't know if it was Hebrew or Greek that that Luke was referring to. So it's hard to figure out what was the amount. But it was millions of dollars worth of books that they were burning. Now, please understand, they were not burning the classics. This is not a scene out of Footloose. You know, where the well-meaning people start burning, you know, Beatles records. And that's not what we're talking about here. They were burning spell books. They were burning books with incantations and chants and curses that were empty and hollow. Compare that to the Word of God, verse 20. The Word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And that's truly what happens. 
When we start to feed upon the Word of the Lord, conventional wisdom just doesn't compare. It's fodder for the fire, man. All the self-help books, man, you can throw them away. They're unnecessary. And better to throw them away than sell them in a garage sale because they're just going to mess up somebody else. I have more fun with my KISS records in the... uh, the ninth grade, I listened to KISS in 7th and 8th grade, but by the ninth grade I realized, no, it's not the best for my spiritual well-being. <laughs> but I didn't want to take them to a record store and sell them because someone else would just buy them. So we had the greatest afternoon of Frisbee on this big hill behind my house. Whoosh! Watching them. And that's what's going on here. You don't want to pass along. Well, let's have a big garage sale. And we'll sell the books of spells and incantations. We won't use them anymore. Hey, they are fuel for the fire, man. They're trash for the burn pile. And what's remarkable is the word, the word prevails after they clean out and burn up and they destroy the refuse of sin in Ephesus. I think there's something we can learn from that. As we clean out the garbage in our lives the Word begins to prevail. We find ourselves far more hungry for the Word of God when there's not sin filling our stomachs and gumming up our hearts. My kids love to chew gum. I don't like them to chew gum an hour before dinner because all the juices start flowing, all the digestive juices start flowing down the throat, and next thing you know, all they've had is a stick of gum and they're not hungry. That gum is of the devil. We clean out the refuse and the Word prevails. It's kind of like a system restore on your computer. You know? You go be a system restore. You go back. You restore what once was and get rid of all the junk. Or, or better than that, a reformat. Just clean up the whole thing and get the machine back to pure and simple. And the Word does that. Ephesians 5.25 Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Verse 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. I really like the way that's written. He purposed in the Spirit. See, that's how to live. To purpose in the Spirit. To will in the Spirit. What does the Lord will in your decisions, in your life? What is the Spirit inviting you or calling you to do? Paul purposed in the Spirit. That could be a title for the whole teaching tonight. The purposes of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit filled and poured out upon the twelve... The Holy Spirit is working mightily through Paul. The Holy Spirit is magnifying Jesus. And for all these things, Paul himself was purposed in the Spirit. He's listening. He's praying. And he's discerning the Lord's direction. Paul will go to Jerusalem after this missionary tour. And he will go to Rome. Though not how he planned. Not how he probably thought he would go to Rome. He goes on the Roman tourism package. All expenses paid journey in shackles. And he will go to Rome and he will die there. But he is purposed in the Spirit. Verse 22. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, 
We have a lot of kids being born right now, a lot of pregnancies in the bridge. I think Erastus would be a great name for a little tyke. Hey, Erastus! He himself stayed in Asia for a while. A quick note on Erastus. Paul mentions him again. Romans 16.23. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And that's important. God was sure to present to us that Erastus was a city treasurer. Why does that matter? Well, it's just another subtle little proof of the Scriptures. In 1929... Archaeologists discovered pavement in Corinth with the name Erastus, treasurer of Corinth, inscribed on the pavement. Erastus, the treasurer, greets you. So once again, the Bible is verified in a simple way. And I love how God does this. The Bible tells us truth springs from the earth. And every now and then God goes, let me just remind you of the truth of my word. And he uses a guy named Erastus to do it. The rest of the chapter is basically an Ephesian mob. So I'm going to move real quickly. Just give me a minute here. Stay with me. Here we go. Verse 23. About that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis. Artemis is Diana, by the way. Was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. And these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends on this business. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Verse 27, Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, or Diana, be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will be even dethroned from her magnificence. And I tell you, if Diana can be dethroned, she is no god at all. And this... This Demetrius is not worried about Diana. He is worried about his pocketbook. He's concerned for his business. Artemis is Diana. The temple to Diana there in Ephesus. Even today the ruins are impressive. You can, you can Google pictures of it. It's pretty remarkable. 400 feet long, 220 feet wide, 60 feet high. The roof is supported by 135 marble columns. It's similar in some ways to the temple of Zeus that we talked about. But it's to Diana there in Ephesus. And Diana is a disgusting idol. It's a multi-breasted goddess. I mean, how confusing for her children. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> Weird, twisted, alien, ugly. And there was a black rock there in Ephesus that they considered had fallen from the heavens. It may, it may have been a meteorite that they put in the temple to Diana, next to Diana's really confusing statue. <laughs> The massive temple is today considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But the real issue, again, was not Diana. It was not Artemis. The issue was the money. 
Demetrius and his fellow silversmiths were making big bucks off of their trade. People would come to Ephesus, you know, journey there to go to the temple and to, and to see Diana. And so they would make these little tiny Diana statues. And they would sell these things. And they were making big bucks. And listen, I have experienced this firsthand in ministry. As long as you don't get in the way of someone's income, you're fine. But preach in such a way that it curtails or opposes financial opportunities and watch out. The most trouble I've gotten into in ministry is when I have preached in such a way that it took away someone's opportunity to make a buck at the bridge. Our money is a stronghold, gang. We talked on Sunday about how the Philippian church being freed from prison, freed from so many things. We talked about how the Philippian church gave constantly to the ministry of Paul because they recognized their freedom. And if we can't do that, if we can't freely and joyfully give to the work of the Lord, then our money is a stronghold. I think I've told you this years ago I was writing in a journal. And I was trying to, you know, as Benjamin Franklin had done once, Benjamin Franklin went through a list of sins and began checking off all the sins that he had conquered because he just wanted to make sure he could conquer every one of them. I was doing a similar thing, not arrogantly or self-righteously, but I was thinking through my life and, and my life of ministry, and I've been a youth pastor for about 10 years at, the, at that point, and going down the list and writing down, Lord, what is it in me? Search me. What is it in me that, that, that's, that's keeping me from being closer to you? And two words came to mind. Money and stronghold. And I wrote them down. And I closed my... I'll never forget. I remember sitting in my living room that night, closing the journal, setting it down and going, that's my stronghold. I wasn't giving at all at that point. How could I afford to? I was a young father. I was in ministry. I mean, it sounds a little ridiculous that the pastor's not able to give. But this youth pastor wasn't because I didn't see how I could. And as I shared on Sunday, it didn't make sense to me. The church pays me and I'm going to give it back. I might as well just keep it, you know. <laughs> come back around anyway. It was a stronghold. And there were areas in my life of faith where I would not and could not grow until I started trusting God financially. We don't like to talk about it. It makes us uncomfortable. I get that. It made me uncomfortable for 35 of the years of my life. And every now and then since then, it still makes me uncomfortable. It does. I'm, I'm no different than anyone else. There are times bills come in and you go, you know, Lord, I could really use the tithe this month to cover that. And I know I've shared this before. Invariably, the Lord says, go ahead. That's if that's what you think is best, <laughs> or you can trust me. But you, you know, you, you decide. It's a stronghold, gang. Paul told Timothy, and this is why I talk about money when it comes up financially. Paul told Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world. And I don't think I'm going too far to say it is every single one of us in the sanctuary tonight. We are rich in this present world. Rick, you don't know. I'm struggling to get by. Compared to the uh, refugees from Syria, how you doing financially tonight? Compared to children in hovels in Africa, how are you doing 
financially tonight. Compared to the third world who are wondering if they're going to get their rice for the week, how are you doing tonight? Instruct those who are rich in this present world, and it is us, gang. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 It's prescribed for the young pastor, and so I have to bring it up. Now this Demetrius is no believer in Jesus. He's just, a, uh, he's just out for the bucks. He just wants his money. And he's upset, and so his faith is in the money. It is not in Diana. He's not worried about Diana. Verse 28, When they heard this, they were filled with rage. And they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. They will tear you apart, man. They're holding Paul back. I love the bravery and the courage of Paul. He's like, this is all about Jesus, man. And look at the assembly. What an opportunity to preach the gospel. They're not going to hear you, Paul. And they're holding him back. And Gaius and Aristarchus are in there. Verse 31, also some of the Asiarchs who were, who were friends of his sent to him repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion. Why? Because mobs are never a good thing. And the majority did not know for what reason they had come together, which is also typical of a mob. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry rose from them all, and they shouted for about two hours, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians! Two hours? Yeah. Have you seen video footage of people in Iran shouting against Israel for two, three hours? It's not unheard of. I feel sorry for this Alexander. Alexander's probably just, uh, you know, one of the Jews who the Jews put forward to distance themselves from Paul. Hey, go tell him we're not the problem. It's Paul, and he's not one of us. And so Alexander's like, hey, can I have your attention? Shut up, you Jew! And they all become enraged toward the Jews. And anti-Semitism's been around for a long time. We've talked about this. Well, it didn't work. They didn't distance themselves from Paul. The people were out of control. Verse 35. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus... What man is there after all who does not know the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? That dumb black rock. Since, so since these are undeniable facts, what are? Well, that you know, we guard Artemis' temple and, the, and Zeus sent us her stone. Idiots. Undeniable facts. Blindness. You ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. 
For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session, the proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it should be settled in the lawful assembly. This guy at least has his head screwed on straight. He's trying to calm the crowd. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. He's afraid of Rome. Because what the Romans will do if we, if this riot gets out of hand, they will come in here with their entire military and they will just put us down. Verse 41, after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Now, today, you can visit the ruins of that amphitheater where this riot took place in Ephesus. You can see the ruins, the impressive vestiges of the temple of Diana. What you won't see, what you won't find, is a single church. Anywhere in Ephesus or the surrounding area. Note this over in chapter 20, verse 28. Just skip ahead and look at this real quick. Paul says in his last meeting with the elders of the church of Ephesus, he's departing from there, he's leaving there, he's been there three years. He says, verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's prophetic, gang. He's not just saying, hey, be careful. He's saying, I know what's coming. I'm giving you a fair warning. Verse 30, And from among your own selves men will arrive, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now he says, I commend you to God and to the work of His grace. And I'll tell you something. In the first century, boy, did the church at Ephesus guard against the savage wolves. This was a strong church. This was a church ultimately commended by Jesus for their stand on righteousness. A church that took God at His word. A church that did not accept the heresies. That fought back against it. That revealed who the false apostles were. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, skip over there, we'll end there tonight. Revelation 2, verse 2, He says to Ephesus, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for My name's sake and have not grown weary. Wonderful Ephesus, strong Ephesus, believing Ephesus, righteous Ephesus. And then Jesus gives this warning. But I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen. And repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you. And I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And that's ultimately what happened to Ephesus. 
Jesus removed the lampstand. What does the lampstand represent? The Spirit of God in the church. I'm going to remove the lampstand. You know what a church is without a lampstand? It's dead. No life, no spirit. And Jesus said, here's the issue. Yes, you need to stand strong on sound biblical doctrine. Absolutely, you need to pursue righteousness. You need to call out the lies of the culture. You need to be clear on the Word of God over the Word of man. Absolutely, that is all right. That is all good. That is all true. But you must not. You cannot lose your first love. Once love goes out the door, what's the rest for? Why? Because listen, love is the greatest manifestation of the Spirit of God. The greatest proof that a church has the bright, glowing, burning lampstand of the Holy Spirit is the church that loves. And the church that is bitter and backbiting and fighting and contentious. The lamps are going out, gang. And the Spirit will be removed and the church will die. Paul said in Romans 5, verse 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Do you find yourself lacking in the area of love? I think those two questions piggyback. If you find if there's is there someone in your life you're having trouble loving that when you think of that person rather than love bitterness seeps in I'll tell you what your answer is aside from reconciliation which is part of the answer even before reconciliation pray in the spirit Because it is through the Holy Spirit that love comes back into our hearts. It is through the Holy Spirit that love is manifested in our lives. And if you're struggling with someone, if you're feeling, if love is hard for you right now, then I would say what you need more than anything else is a fresh outpouring, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit through whom love is given to us. Let's pray together. And if you need a fresh anointing of the Spirit tonight, if you're not sure that you ever received the Spirit when first you gave your life to Jesus, as I pray, I invite you to ask Him in right now. To invite the Holy Spirit to come and take charge of your life. Or if you know that He is in charge of your life, to invite the Lord Jesus to pour out His Holy Spirit upon you to give you a fresh a fresh anointing that will drip down over your heart in such a way that you will love more fully. Father, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, we come to You, our God, Asking that you will fill us 
that You will take up residence. Lord, if there is anyone among us tonight who is uncertain of salvation, would You take up residence tonight by the faith in their heart. By the confession of of Jesus as Lord. And Father, would You pour out fresh and new upon us Your Spirit. Lord, to be a people empowered by You to love like we have never loved. And yes, Lord, all the other gifts as You see fit, as You need, as You require in this body and in this area. But Father, we just want Your presence in us, alongside us, and upon us, Father. So we invite You, we ask You to pour out on us tonight. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.